the time in history that Paul wrote this, Christians were on the run. Christians were on the run. Christians were on the run. They had no rights and they were in great danger. Paul actually wrote this letter while on house arrest in Rome. And despite his circumstances, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, describing the fullness and richness of life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understood what it meant to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church, our city and our world would never be the same. Never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. interpret and to communicate to us all that there is through the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would hear the instruction of that video that says that if we fully understand, we will never be the same. God, I pray today that there would be an opening of eyes, that there would be an understanding of truth, that there would be a surrender of will, all to the glory of God the Father. God, take our time in your word and through your Holy Spirit, speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today at worship. One of the things that we're always praying for is, God, we're praying for people to invest in, and we're praying that you will raise up people to invest in others. And God is answering our prayer. He hears our prayer, and often He is doing that. But this morning, I want to introduce to you three young men. Um, John, Tyler, TJ. If y'all will come here and stand with me just a moment. John... Lee, Tyler Lee, and I really wish TJ's last name was Lee's, but it's Witherspoon. <laughs> yes. These are all young men that God has placed a call on their life into ministry. They've come and said, we want to, to be here, we want to learn, we want to invest, and we'd like to be mentored in what it means to be a man of God that leads in the church. And so Tyler is um, going to be working with youth, FCA, and um, leading a small group on Sunday mornings. John is going to be helping us with... Um, singles 18 to 30 and above uh, that but he's going to be working with the group we call transitions and then TJ his is a little bit different but TJ is going to be doing an internship a leadership internship through FCA this summer so I'm going to introduce him to you you're going to see him about two weeks and then he's gone for 10 weeks mm -hmm. 10 weeks as he is investing in high school students and and others. So I want you to meet these young men because they're here and God has miraculously provided them. You're going to see their faces and they're going to be leading. So join me in welcoming them in their roles. Pastor Russell is going to come up and he's going to pray over them. And I'd like for you to stand in, in solidarity with me as we pray for these young men as they not only explore God's call, but as they lead God's people. All right, please join me in prayer. 
Father God, we love you. And God, we thank you that in our sin, you loved us. God, enough to send your one and only son to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And God, to reunite, to restore, to redeem us, God, from that sinful nature, God, and to put us in a good relationship with you. And God, we thank you that you allow us to be a part of that process, that you allow us to surrender our hearts and our minds and our bodies and souls to you, God, in service. And I pray for these three young men as they step forward now and say, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to step out into my community, into my church, and God, be a person that influences people for the gospel. So God, I do pray for TJ and Tyler and John as they are stepping up as young men saying, I want to be a leader. So God, protect them. Protect them physically, protect them spiritually. God, give them a renewed energy and an excitement for what you want to do in their lives. God, you've rescued us all from, from different things, and we all have different testimonies. And God, each one of them stand here today saying, here's my testimony. Here's how God redeemed me. Now I want to be used by you, God, so please do that. God, will you bless their time? Will you make it multiply that they're away from their family and just restore all the time that they have? God, will you just let them reveal um, to you and reveal yourself to them what you want them to do exactly in this ministry. God, define their calling. Show them exactly how you want to use them. And when you speak, God, I pray that their mind is clear, that they can hear exactly what you're saying, and God, that they step boldly and confidently in the direction you push them to. So God, we stand united today as Mount Zion Baptist Church, saying we are with these young men. We want to be with them. We want them to be part of our church. And God, we just want to be a blessing to our community through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do pray all these things in the precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. They are going to be here at the front um, at the end of the service as they come and unite with Mount Zion. And you'll have the opportunity to come by and meet and introduce yourselves and uh, begin to figure out how we can all partner together. Do you have your Bible? So hold it up in there. Let's let the devil know we've got the Word, and the Word is the sword, and he has no power against it. If it's on your phone, it's okay. You can hold your phone up in there, too. But if I see solitaire on there, I'm going to call you out. All right. All right, so let's take our Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're on this series we're calling A Blueprint for Believers. And today we're going to be in verses 7 through 12, but I'm going to... Um, starting verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us before Him, in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption. The him is Christ there, by the way. So understand who in him is. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us, in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him, in Him, in Him is how we have a right relationship with God. It's in Him that we have eternal life. Ephesians 1 verse 3 where it says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That is the theme of the book of Ephesians. Now my question is if God has blessed us with spiritual blessings, what are the blessings? Right? You want to know what's inside the package. Well inside the package of blessing, the first thing that scripture taught us in verses 4, 5, and 6 is that salvation was God's idea. The scripture says that before the foundation of the world, that he chose you. Just say it with me. God chose me. God chose you. He looked and said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. I want you to be my child. I want you to be in my family. So last week, we talked about God purposed um, salvation. Today, we're going to say that salvation was purchased By the Son of God. That's the passage that I just read to you. And when we begin to ask ourselves, we understand that it's through Christ. Only through Christ that we have life. And it's only through Christ that we have right relationship with God. So I want to ask you a question. And you don't have to answer it out loud, but I would love for you to answer it in your mind. What is your greatest need today? What's your greatest need? You see, if you came in here today and you have a health issue, you may say, my greatest need is for healing. Or if you're having a marriage or relationship issue, you may say that the greatest need for me today is for my relationship to be healed. Or if it's financial, my greatest need is for God to provide for me financially. And those are all very important needs. But I want to tell you that no matter what other needs you face in your life, it is not your greatest need need my greatest need is for me to have a relationship it's it's God in me through Christ that God forgives our sin through him knowing and experiencing God's redemption and forgiveness of our sins is so vital that Satan is constantly working to sow in us seeds of confusion and error A common tactic of Satan is to get us to view ourselves as basically good people. Oh, I'm not so bad. Look, I read on the news yesterday that a man was setting off bombs in Texas. I'm not as bad as he is, so I'm pretty okay. Or I found out that somebody did this to a child or somebody did that. And you know, if I call myself up against them, I'm okay. And Satan will lie to you and say, yes, you are. And from a human understanding, you may be okay. But from an eternal perspective, it is not your goodness that makes you right with God. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at Calvary. Another tactic that Satan will use to to make us think that we're okay is religion. We'll begin to feel conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We'll begin to think about eternal things. And and Satan will say, well, your grandmother was a churchgoer. Your your dad was a deacon. 
Or they'll say, well, you went to church last week or you put some money in the offering plate and you begin to justify, well, maybe I'm okay and Satan will just ramp up that lie and cause you to think, yes, you're okay. But listen to me, it's not good works that gets you to heaven. It's not good religion that will get you to heaven. But it is a good relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we have eternal life. Don't allow Satan to lie to you. And my prayer today is that as you allow the Holy Spirit to just move in you, to work in your mind and in your heart, that you would open yourself up to say, Jesus, it's you. It's all in you. What a wonderful name it is, Jesus. And it's that name that I choose today to worship. So if we unpack this passage in 7 through 12, what are some things that we begin to understand in Ephesians 1, 7 through 12? The first thing that we would see is praise Jesus. He is our Redeemer. A sub-point to that is in Christ we have redemption. Go back to chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The the word there, in Him, is literally in whom we have salvation. And refers back to Christ whom Paul calls the beloved in verse 6. Look back up there with me in Ephesians 1.6. It says, He made us accepted in the beloved. Now why would Paul call Christ the beloved? You remember when Jesus, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was being baptized and it says that He came up out of the out of the water and the voice came down from heaven and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We have redemption and it comes through Christ in Him. Jesus would affirm that when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Saved from sin. We have redemption through Christ, and He's made available to us. In Christ we receive all of God's blessings. I read that to you in verse 3 where it says, In Him all spiritual blessings are made available to us. It is in Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, We have nothing apart from Jesus. Our wealth of mercy is all in Christ. Whatever spiritual blessing you need today, whatever was on your mind as your greatest need when you entered this building today, comes through the person of Christ. And Satan will lie to you and he'll, he'll have you working your head off. He will have you doing all of these things. He'll have you believing lies to keep you from coming to the throne, to the foot of the cross, if you will, and bowing down and saying, it's to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. We are depraved, the Scripture says. The Scripture says that we are bankrupt. And that we have no means to pay for ourselves. But Christ steps in and makes the payment. And we get not only redemption, but we get blessings. You see, in Christ, He is our Redeemer. We have redemption. We have blessings. In Christ, we are free from the power and the penalty of sin. 
Leon Morris states in his book, The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross, that we use words such as redeemer or redemption as religious terms. But then he writes, But when the man of the first century heard them, he immediately thought in non-religious terms. It brought to mind the common picture of a slave being purchased and then set free. Redemption meant release from the bondage by the payment of a price. So you understand, when Paul is writing this, and we hear redeemed, my picture is I see Jesus on the cross with blood dripping, and I say that I'm no longer separated from God by sin, but I am made right. But when Paul's audience, and Paul was a master wordsmith, when Paul was talking to his audience, they did not see at that moment the crucified Christ. What they literally saw was their brother, their sister, their friend, their cousin themselves standing on the slave block and somebody walking up and saying, I will pay this for them. And that's literally where we were spiritually. We were standing there and we were without hope and we were without any idea of redemption. And Christ walks in and says, I paid that with my blood. And God says, Paid in full. We are redeemed. We are purchased. It is in Christ that the penalty of sin is broken. You say, well, pastor, what is that penalty of sin? That penalty of sin is eternal separation. The penalty of sin is damnation. The penalty of sin is that I, there's nothing I can do to get to God on my own. And Jesus looks and he says... You can't. I will. And when he approaches the throne of God and your name comes up, Jesus hands him the receipt and he says, It was covered by my blood. It's through Christ. The penalty of sin is broken. Well, you see, it's not just a redemption from the penalty of sin because the penalty of sin would be I am saved and then I can just go live how I want. But it's also a breaking of the power of sin. You see, when Jesus purchased us, He not only pulled us away from separation and pulled us to God, but He totally set us free how do we understand that this word redeemer redemption has its roots in the old testament in the book of ruth you let me catch you up on the story um naomi is married she has a husband she's got two sons there's a famine in the land they leave their home and they go to another place and while they are there the husband dies While they are there, the two sons die. And Naomi is left as the provider of two two people who are her daughter-in-law. She hears that that, that things are better in her homeland. So she looks at her daughter's-in-law and says, Hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to head back. And they both start walking with her. And on the journey of walking back to the homeland, to the place that they came from, she turns to them and says, hey, you don't have to follow me anymore. And one of them looks and says, poop, I'm out of here. She goes back to where she came from. But then there was this one young lady named Ruth. And Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. 
And she begins to follow Naomi back to the homeland. And when they get there, they begin to figure out how can we eat and what can we do. And Naomi enlightens her on the custom of the day. Hey, if you will go to where they're picking wheat, um, they, they will leave some behind. It was called gleaning. And you can glean, you can pick up what's left over. And um, Ruth goes and does this. Now Ruth, she was okay to look at. And Boaz, who owned the field, looked over and said, That girl's cute. And so he went to the people that were picking grain for him. And he said, I tell you what, when you see Ruth, how about leave a little extra? She liked that. Yes, she did. So she went back home and she told, told Naomi the story. Hey, this is what's happening. And then conversation begins to break out. Naomi says, he's one of our kinsmen. And the more he gets familiar with Naomi and Ruth, he realizes that Naomi used to own some land that she lost. She legally lost it. But there's a thing in the Old Testament called kinsman redeemer. And that meant that if you were next in line by blood, that you could go and purchase back what had been legally lost. There was one person ahead of Boaz in the family line. Boaz went to this person and said, Hey, I don't know what you're thinking about, but if you have no interest in it, I sure would like to buy that land. And the man looks at him and says, Do what you got to do. So he goes and buys it back. And so what had been legally lost was legally restored through a kinsman redeemer. You, through the blood of Christ, were legally lost to sin when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But Jesus, because we're in his bloodline and because he is our redeemer, he steps in and he says, Hey God, they lost it legally, but I want to buy it back legally and I want to restore them to what they were before. It's redemption. It's not only the penalty of sin is broken, but now we're being restored into the family and we will begin to see the power of sin be broken. There's another place that we can understand this idea of Redeemer. In Exodus 6, 6, it says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens, the bondage of the Egyptians. I will rescue from you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Exodus 12 tells us that when God was ready to redeem the people, He gave them an instruction. It said, I want you to kill the lamb. You can substitute a goat if you need to. I want it to be without blemish or spot. But at a certain time and in a certain way, I want you to take the blood of the lamb and I want you to paint it on your doorpost so that when the Spirit of God sweeps through, He will pass over your house and you will be saved. You will be redeemed. The writer of Hebrews wanting us to understand that in 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin. Paul intentionally uses the word redemption to illustrate that Christ paid the price of our sin by His sacrificial death on the cross. Our kinsman redeemer purchased what had been lost and restored us before God. As if there were not sin. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.22 teaches we're sealed for eternity. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we're a new creature. We're being set free from the power of sin and by the power of the Spirit that now lives inside of us. But you see, it's not just, again, it's not just the power of sin. The penalty of sin, I'm sorry. But it's the power of sin because I think I can anticipate what some would say. Pastor, that works okay for my little sins. Oh, I said this. Or, oh, I was ugly to somebody. But I'm, you don't know my sin. My sin is big and my sin is deep and my sin is vile and horrid. And, and I don't even want to look at the mirror at that time when I think about that sin because it just makes me want to shudder all over. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I know what I'm talking about. I know that time. I know that place. I know that moment. And Christ breaks it. Our entire lives onward from when we accept Christ. It's not just a date. But it's the working out of our salvation. As we learn to choose righteousness instead of sin. Our sanctification being set apart for God. It's ongoing. We are being saved from sin's power. Listen to me. You have the authority today when Satan reminds you of your past you have the authority under God to remind him of his future you can look at him and say that is who I was but because I have been purchased by the blood of Christ it is not who I am and when God sees you he does not see the sinner he sees the son when he sees the son he sees the perfect lamb of God that's what he sees and just as Boaz, when he looked at Ruth, saw something amazing. When God sees you, he sees amazing. You see, our redemption, praise Jesus, he is our redeemer. But there's also the understanding of, praise Jesus, our redemption is now. Don't you love it? It's right now. <laughs> Paul does not say in him someday we hope to be redeemed. Nor does he say we're working at obtaining redemption. But he puts it in the very present tense and he says in him we have redemption. Redeemed is our current condition and experience, not a future possession. Yes, Romans 8.23 speaks of a future redemption of our body being redeemed. And Thessalonians would say that we're going to be caught up with Him in a moment and we will be changed and that is a part of salvation. But it is not the totality of salvation. We are redeemed now. The power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin is broken. And our redemption now is through His blood. Keep, go back with me to verse 7. In Him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow that washes me now. White as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our present redemption, our right now redemption, comes through the blood of Christ. I told you Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Leviticus 17 
verses 10 and 12. I think it's in your outline. You can follow me. If any Israelite or foreigner living among them eats blood, I will disown that person and cut him off from his people. For the life of an animal is in the blood. I have provided the blood for you. Why? To make atonement for your lives on the altar. It is the blood, the life that makes atonement. That was a part of an Old Testament sacrificial system that on certain days and in certain times the people would sacrifice an animal, the priest would, and through that animal, the blood of that animal, their sin would be forgiven. But that was only a precursor to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ who would die one time for all humanity, for all sin, that past, present, and future. And Jesus said, I give you I exchange my sinlessness for your sinfulness. And God said, that perfect sacrifice is enough. I receive it. I accept it. It is paid. Jesus fulfilled the law when he offered himself on the cross. Something interesting there. That's how God can be just and the justifier. You see, holy God cannot allow sin in his presence. That's his justness. But his mercy and his grace and his love for you is so deep that the one who is just through the blood of his son can also be the justifier. Through that blood you can be justified just as if I'd never sinned. God loves you. God is just. God is holy. And if God had had lessened the penalty, He would not be God. The penalty was there. He says the penalty takes blood. Jesus said, I will shed the blood. Enough of these goats and doves and lambs and bulls. Take me. And God said, yes. So what's the issue? The issue is either you trust in what Jesus did on the cross as the full payment for your sins or when you stand before God at judgment, you must pay for your sins. There's only one payment that's acceptable. It's the blood of Christ. And apart from the blood of Christ, there is no redemption. And if you stand before God with your blood, He's going to say that's not enough. But when you stand before God in Christ's blood, it is more than enough. So what's your greatest need today? Your greatest need today is not the felt need that you walked in the door with. Your greatest need today is Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God says you come through Christ. And your greatest need is the blood of Jesus to be the payment and, the pen- and for the power and the penalty of your sin. And I urge you, I implore you, I beg you, if you've never come to Christ on His terms today, do not walk out this door because you're not guaranteed the next moment. He says, come to me. I will redeem you. Redemption is through His blood. Redemption now means our sins are forgiven. Look at it. Blessed in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. 
Forgiveness means releasing someone from a hurt or a wrong done. It's the forgiving of a debt. Your debt was forgiven through Christ. But it says that we have forgiveness of trespasses. And let me tell you what that word means in the original language. In the original language, it's not just the forgiveness of sins blanket, but it is the forgiveness of sins individual. Let that sink in just a moment. Because I want you to hit rewind on your life. And I want you to take it way back here. And when you think you've gone back far enough to... It, I want you to hit stop. And then when you hit stop, I want you to hit play. And I'll just use my life. Riding down the road at the back of a truck. A little boy playing his tuba walking home from band practice on Halloween night. And I reach in the basket of eggs by the truck and I throw it and I hit that little boy with that egg as hard as he can, as I can. I didn't miss. He fell over in the ditch. When he stood up, his tuba was mangled. And I can just feel like crud right now for that moment. And then I have to remember that the blood of Christ covered that. He forgave me for the penalty of my sin. He has released me from the power of sin. I don't want to throw eggs at anybody now. The power is broken. All right, but let's keep going because that, that tape needs to play on. It was a lie I told my dad. And my dad looked at me and he said, what you did doesn't hurt me. That you lied to me devastates me. I can't go back. My dad is dead. I can't go back and, and make restitution for that, but I can look at my dad, but know that I did apologize then, and I can look at Jesus, and he says, I covered that sin. The power of it's broken. Well, you see, I didn't have to go back far to hit things, but I get a lot of things that keep going. And there was this sin. And it was covered. And in your life, it means the individual things that you did. And I want to implore you this morning, have the courage to name them. Say, God, I confess to you I thought this. God, I confess to you I did this. God, I confess to you that this is what I was thinking and this is what I did. And God, I am so sorry. And the scripture says that the blood of Christ covers that. There is forgiveness of sin. And can I tell you, I believe with all of my heart that there are people in this room today that cannot experience all that God has for them because they cannot receive all that God has done for them. Would you come to Christ? Would you come to Him and let Him set you free from sin? Verse 9, um, 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses in your outline, verses 5 and 8. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. And this is what Peter's doing here. He's saying, now that you have accepted Christ, now that you have all of these things in Christ, there's some things I want you to add to your life. He says, to your faith, trust in Christ, add virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly love. And to brotherly love, 
kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord God, Jesus Christ. Paul has said, you've come to Christ. And now, here's a checklist of some things that I want you to add to your life. Now look at verse 9, though, because he says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You have been cleansed. You have been forgiven. Redemption now is according to the riches of God's grace. Go back to verse 7. Blessed, uh, I don't know why I keep wanting to go to verse 3, I apologize. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Isaiah, the prophet, said this in Isaiah 55, 5 and 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him to, and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon us. It means rich grace lavished on you. The measure of God's grace, of God's mercy on you is not measured by your mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, or penance. It's measured by the, His abundant mercy and grace that He lavishes on you. If you go to a multimillionaire, and you ask for a contribution for a worthy cause, and he gives you $100, he has given out of his riches. Out of all that I have, here's $100. But if you go to that same person and ask for the donation, and he hands you a signed blank check, and he says, fill it out, put in what you need, not there did he give to you out of his riches, but according to his riches. You see the difference? According to, you take what you need. The word abound or lavish can best be illustrated by ocean waves. They just keep coming and coming and coming. They never stop. And that's what God's love is to you. You may be thinking, whoa, you're going too far. If you preach like this, people go out and sin knowing that they will be forgiven. And if you thought like that, then you're thinking like Paul. Because in Romans 6, 1 and 2, he said this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he said, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When we know that the beloved Redeemer shed his blood to secure our forgiveness, it compels us to live a life that is pleasing to Him via obedience and surrender. What's your greatest need? Your greatest need is for the blood of Christ. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of the penalty of sin and to live that the power of sin has been broken. To set, you're set apart for Him.
this morning. I beg, I implore, as Paul did to the church at Ephesus. Would you rely on the blood of Christ? Would you call on the blood of Christ? If you've not yet secured your eternal salvation through the blood of Christ, would you today just be willing to stand up and say, Jesus, you're all I need. I receive what you did on the cross. As we approach this holy week, as we sit on the edge of Palm Sunday, in the middle of Palm Sunday, God, would you forgive me? I believe in the work that you did on the cross. For the believer today, I, I beg you, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you be willing today to, to rewind the tape, to say, God, forgive me here. God, restore me here. God, cleanse me here. God, forgive me. And God says that all who call on me, I will answer.